How are we? Okay? Good. I am... Um, Jin and I had a week off, which is great. It was four days working on the bathroom and three days away in a railway carriage, which is looking at me a bit strange, but it's a nice railway carriage. Uh, sitting, looking over the fields for three days, and it was sunny, it was lovely, it was great. It's nice to have, just to lay down responsibility for a week. I've, I've got to be honest, come back feeling quite refreshed, quite encouraged. And um, I, I found preparing the sermon on Friday just... just more enjoyable than usual, I think, just just being back, and that was great. And then this morning, uh, it's Mother's Day, so Jean brought me breakfast in bed <laughs> and wished me a happy Mother's Day as she gave it to me, which was... I thought that was pretty fitting, really. Um, uh, just a couple of other things. Uh, you know, we've been... Uh, Leaders in Middlesbrough have been meeting Tuesday mornings, 8 o'clock, at St. Barnabas Church to pray. Well, that's going on. That's doing really well. That's glorious. But also now I've got to know the Stockton leaders. And on a Wednesday lunchtime at 1 o'clock, the Stockton, uh, the leaders in the Stockton, of the Stockton churches uh, gather together. And I, I've been along and I've discovered they, just about the same time as we started, they meet every week to pray too, which is remarkable. So I'm now praying with two groups of leaders Um, every week. That's Tuesday mornings and Wednesday lunchtimes. And just amazing that God's doing that. They didn't plan to to start. It's just we felt God stir us. They felt independently God stir us to pray every week together. Uh, And I find that really exciting. There's a sense of God on the case. There's something fresh coming. And um, I really believe that. And while I was standing there this morning, I I, I don't often get prophetic words, uh, but I just felt I felt God say this. I feel God say, today and from now on, these are days of open doors. And I, I, I thought, what, what's that about God? And I felt God say that these are days where you, you've tried to, with friends, you've tried to make friends with people in the street. You've tried to, to, to build bridges with people. And it's always been, well, they didn't really want to know. I feel God says, try again because he's opening doors and, and they won't be closed. And I just feel for the whole church, these are days of open doors. Open doors to build friendships, open doors to get to know people. It's not about preaching straight at people. It's about building the bridge of relationship with lots of different people in our communities, in our streets, wherever we are. These are days of open doors. I felt God say that ever so clearly. And uh, that's quite exciting. Uh, So I would encourage you to take a few risks, to build a few bridges. Uh, I I was speaking to Martin yesterday and uh, he used, they used to have a dog and um, gave it away, which is probably the best thing to do with a dog. But, but <laughs> they, he used to, walk, <laughs> used to walk the dog uh, and uh, meet this person, this guy, uh, and chat quite a lot. And then, of course, stopped walking the dog. Didn't, and then hadn't seen him for ages and then bumped into him in the supermarket the other day. Uh, him and his wife, and this guy sought him out. It was actually nearly quite emotional, chatting away, saying, look, we must get together. Um, and clearly, they're quite lonely as a couple, not Christians at all. But there's a door just come wide open. You meet people, a door just goes wide open. I would encourage you, take the risk, walk through it. That's what we have to do. When a door opens, we need to walk through it. Um, just just important. And you, you'll find, I, do, I prophesy, you will find these doors starting to open for you. Just ask God to give you the discernment that here's a door just opened. Very important. Just think, oh, here's another door just opened. 
Let me walk through it. And you think, well, I'm not really sociable. Did anybody feel like that? Yeah? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm much happier, to be honest, with my model railway <laughs> at, at times. But I love people, but in, in, to a level, and then I want to close the door. But, but I, I, what I say to you is, don't worry about what you, how you're wired. Walk through the door and trust God. And, and he will enable bridges to be built. Okay? Just feel God said that. So I feel it doesn't really... I don't know if it fits with my message or not. We'll find out in a bit. Colossians part 10, I think this is. And um, last week, I trust that Simon uh, did verses 1 to 11 of chapter 3. And today our focus is, our verses, our focus is verses 12 to 17. Where's my drink? Verse 12 of chapter 3. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful... Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. As usual, I've given myself three points to hang my comments on. First one, God's chosen people. Second one, taking responsibility. Thirdly, giving thanks. So God's chosen people. We need to remember that the Apostle Paul, in in writing this letter to the church in Colossae, he he wrote it to that church. But once the letter, they'd had the letter, they'd read the letter, digested the letter, probably copied the letter out, made copies for people. The letter would then be sent on to, say, the church in Laodicea. And they would do the same thing. And then it would be sent to other churches. That's what happened with these letters, the ones we have of Paul and others uh, in Scripture they went round the churches. You see, the, the early church didn't have the New Testament as we have. We, we kind of think, oh, I've got the Bible. Actually, they didn't have that. They had some of the Old Testament, but they needed and so looked forward to these letters that Paul and the others circulated around the churches. So Paul is writing to the church, the church of Jesus Christ, and that includes us. So when he wrote this letter, he wrote it for us. I know we're 2,000 years away from it, but actually it's come to us. And therefore we take it to us personally. You could say, if you analyze the book, chapter 1 explains some stuff, but chapters 2, 3, and 4 could be given the title, Living as Who You Are. In fact, if I wanted to change my preach, I'm I'm preaching in a a Durham uh, church on Wednesday evening. They've got a a midweek meeting asked me if I go and preach, and I, I, I was trying to be really clever and flash. And as I was preparing this, I felt God said, "Just preach this." And uh, so I'm going to change the title and call it "Living as Who You Are," and they won't know any different. That okay? As I've said, you know, preachers can get away with anything, really. Sounds as though you've prepared and you've oh, there's a whole series. You just change the name, and nobody remembers you've ever said it before, anyway. <laughs> I hope yes. As I've said many times before. 
Once we believe in Jesus, we're, we're born again, we become, what? A new creation. Yes? 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us the old has gone and the new has come. So this letter is to all of us who have become a new creation, for everyone who is in Christ, who is now a child of God. And he says, this then is how to live as the new you. The old you used to live a certain way, in your sin, with your bad habits, with your lack of discipline and all of that. But this then, this is what it means to live as a child of God. This isn't law. This isn't like tick the boxes and you'll earn your way to heaven. This is, this is, no, this is about learning to live right as a child of God. We teach our children, don't they? They're, they're brand new. They're not recycled, are they? I, I don't think we get them recycled. They're, they're brand new when we get them. And we teach them how to live. We teach them the values. We, we teach them their responsibilities. And so we are now a new creation. The old has gone. So here we are, a bit of a blank canvas. And Paul writes to us saying, I want to teach you how to live as the new you. And we, we, we don't concentrate on this enough. We, we, we kind of live as the new, we, we call ourselves new creation and often live as the older creation. And Paul all the time is saying, no, no, live as the new you. Very important. Paul reminds us in verse 12, now you are a chosen people. He says, chosen by God and dearly loved. We're not Christians by accident. Isn't that a relief? You didn't just drift into knowing Jesus. Somebody invited me, it just happened. No, no, no. God chose you. You're here because God has chosen you. You are holy and dearly loved. The, the word holy simply means to be set apart. Chosen by God and set apart for his purposes. I love that. Ephesians 1, 4-10. For he, God, chose us in him, Jesus, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Christ Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he freely, has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. I find it thrilling that God calls me, calls you, chose me, chose you to play a part in the outworking of that plan. Isn't it great? It's not like, oh, I'm just, I, I was watching a, a, a program, um, there's been a program on TV called Reverse Missionaries. Any, anybody see it? And um, I was just so impressed with this guy from Jamaica. I think it was Jamaica. It was just fantastic. And I mean, it goes into the middle of, you know, posh rural England. It's like, how does that work? And yet he made such an impression on people, and uh, he goes with the gospel. But I, 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 was, I, I, was, I was looking at that and, and thinking, oh God, how, how, do we, how can we play our part? He came to play his part. He, he came out of his culture into a different culture, and yet could still play his part in making a difference. God chose you and I 
to make a difference, to, to play our part, to, to see the purposes of God fulfilled, to reach this lost and dying nation. We're not just saved so we can get to heaven. That God, oh, I'm blessed. That's nice. No, we're chosen by God into his glorious purposes that will last for eternity. There's a sense of destiny there for every one of us to lay hold of. The Apostle Paul says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. There's something there for you. There's something there for every one of us. Whether you've been a Christian for five minutes or 50 years, there's something there for us to lay hold of. Isn't that exciting? Well, some of you think it's exciting. You might think, oh, it seems a bit like hard work. I understand that. Some of us feel inadequate and think, I can't do it. No, you can't. That's okay. He didn't say, come and then be excellent. He said, come and let me fill you. What a relief. I mean, I I often say to people, I'm just an electronics engineer who loves Jesus. So, but you lead a church. Yeah. But really, I, I just mend things. And I love Jesus. And he's called me to this and it seems to work. And nobody's more amazed than me. Because that's the nature of our calling. That's the nature. There's a destiny for us. He said, come on, I want you and a you. As I, again, as I was sitting there this morning, something good about going away because it clears the mind. I just felt God say, I'm, I'm moving people around, putting them into the, the, I'm forming the troops. I'm putting them to the places I want them to be right now. You know, I, I prophesy, if you like, God is adding troops to Jubilee. Not just new converts, but troops from elsewhere in the country. Some are coming, I know about, but from other places. Why? For real purpose. Because God will fulfill his purposes here if we stay faithful to him and pray and say, God, we're available. It's all it takes. A willingness to be available. A willingness to say yes to God and watch what he will do. I find that a big adventure, isn't it? You know, as soon as we think it's my problem or it's, oh, I've got... No, we can't make it happen but we can ask him who does make it happen. We can call on him who is all power and all might and all authority. We can call on him who's commissioned us. We say, that means you and I have been set apart, chosen for this glorious purpose. I love it. I want to grab my destiny. I like the Apostle Paul. He says, not that I have already obtained this, but I press on. I'm pressing on. You know, you can only grab it each day. You, you, you can't have it. You say, oh, I, I see a glorious future and I see millions of people born again. I see revival in the nation. You know what? I see all of those things. But I can, I, that's somewhere else. All I can do is grab today what's there. It's the now thing. You'll never have that. That's a pipe dream. Unless we lay hold today of what God's given us. Today, what we, he calls us to do. To, today, walk through the doors he opens for us. If we do that, the future will unpack. The future will unfold. That which we pray for, that which we long for, will come about. But it requires us to play our part, to, to lay hold of our destiny today and walk through the doors that God opens, us, opens for us. So we're set apart for it. We have a a glorious destiny, and I love it. But that vision alone will not keep us pressing on 
when times are hard? Well, it might you, but it doesn't me. Knowing we're chosen, set apart is great, but there is something more. We need to know that first and foremost, we are dearly loved by God. I love to see the big picture. I get excited about the big picture, God's eternal purpose. You've probably gathered that, because I'm always going on about it. I remember so well the time when God opened my eyes to these things and I I saw for the first time who I really was in Christ. It was like, wow, this is so exciting. This is amazing. You want to take on the world. It was, oh God, I'm, I'm just little me. I'm just little old me. But he's extraordinary. I'm ordinary. He's amazing. And, and I'm in him. The potential is limitless. And that's true for all of us. I saw that. I, it was like, I, I, was, I was about 21, 22, and it was like, God, God, it's, it's, it's amazing. So excited. But you know what? I, as time went on, I found that my feelings didn't always line up with that sort of vision. I could still feel low and fed up. Anybody? Identify with feeling low and fed up? I, I, I still got hurt and crushed from time to time by other people. Anybody ever get hurt by people? I still sometimes felt a failure. Anybody feel a failure? And you know what? I still do at times. I still have days of feeling low and pretty fed up. Just as well we haven't got a cat, because <laughs> I'd like to kiss it, kick it, you know. <laughs> yeah, if you see one, whoa, what's that? There's paws nearby. No, right. I still have those days of just feeling so low, so fed up. It's just like, ugh. Feeling useless, feeling lost, feeling... This is part of the human condition, you know. I still get hurt on the inside. I've said to you before, you know, the one thing I said to God was anything, Lord, except church leadership. Because leadership hurts too much. It hurts. It hurts because you invest in people and they don't always come through. They don't always... You know, I've, 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 I've learned to handle it, but it still hurts. There's two ways of dealing with hurt. You know, you either put a wall up, and don't let anybody near, or you let it come through and feel the pain. Don't build a wall. Because God will just have to take it down for you. No, we have all of these things we face. We feel, face the stuff of human life. We face the pain of tragedy and suffering. We, we, we go through all of those things. But we need to remember, and, and we can have the glorious vision, but it's still, we can still feel absolutely rubbish. But we need to remember that we are dearly loved. What I've found, and it took me a while to find it, to be honest, is that the love of God is more than enough for such feelings and such things. I've learned that I really am dearly loved by God. And you know what? So are you. 
Not just loved because he's God and he has to love you anyway. No, no, you are dearly loved. Dearly loved. You are precious to him. Personally precious to him. Is it good to know that? Him who's, who made the whole thing? You are personally precious to him. Just as an aside, excuse me just a moment. Felix, I'm looking at you there and I'm thinking, the open door, the, the door is going to open for you. It's, these are days of open doors. And I, I just feel, it's for all of us, but particularly for you, as you go, just watch what God will do. And he will open them for you. Just have faith and walk through them. See where he takes you. Is that right? Okay, so the, the love of God... The love of God is what satisfies the soul. It's great to have a vision and a sense of destiny. But to know God loves me dearly, showers me with grace every day, even when I get things wrong, even when I blow it, even after I've kicked the cat. I I haven't got one. I'm not into cruelty to animals, understand. Right. But to know that, satisfies my soul like nothing else. To know he loves me. You know, the, the enemy comes and accuses us and says, you're no good. You've got no discipline. You can't get out of bed in the morning. You've got a bad attitude. You, 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 you. You've got no faith. Anybody identify with any of those things that come clouding in? And you know what? I've learned to say, I, I, don't, I don't argue with them and say, yeah, all of that's true but I'm hidden in him. And because I'm hidden in him, all things are possible. And I'm dearly loved. Isn't that wonderful? You are dearly loved by him this morning. With all the pain and the suffering, you are dearly loved. And what we do in the dearly loved bit, we, we go off and we, we, we kind of think, well, okay, God, well, I need you to solve this, 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 and this. And, and God says, it's not about me solving issues for you. It's about me loving you for you. See, people say, well, if you love me, God, why have you allowed X, Y, and Z? Love's not like that, is it? If we think of love like that, we are not learning, we we don't understand how to receive love for ourselves. We think love is about problem solving. We think love is about fixing everything. We think, if God loved me, this, this, and this. You know what? If every problem you had was sorted, you'd still have a big empty hole right here. That only the love of God can satisfy. That's the truth. It's the love of God. We are dearly loved. Every moment of every day, when we're awake, asleep, whatever we're doing, we are dearly loved. And we need to know that. And at the end of the day, that's what keeps me going. That's what keeps me in church leadership. Oh, the vision's glorious and the potential is glorious and all the rest of it. And there's some highs and there's some incredible lows. But you know what? All of those things pale into insignificance in comparison to know I'm dearly loved by God, and I have to do nothing to earn it. Not a thing. 
dearly loved. I, I don't earn it. I, I don't have to prove anything to him. I'm hidden in Christ forever. That's glorious. That's wonderful. You see, before vision, destiny and purpose, the gospel is first and foremost about love. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. No strings attached. He gave. All we have to do is receive. Just bow the knee and say, thank you, Lord. I can't do it myself. In Matthew 28, 18 to 20, we have what we call the Great Commission. I quote it often. But you know what? We often forget the promise right at the end. For Jesus says to us, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Wow. Whatever the circumstances, he's here. He's with you. That's what satisfies our soul. And let's remember and enjoy that fact every day. Chosen, glorious. Grab our destiny, wonderful. But do it because we're dearly loved. And we want to enter right in. It's my first point. My second point is this, taking responsibility. Because Paul, he just says, it's like a throwaway. Chosen and dearly loved. And I thought, you know what, I could preach on that for weeks, I think. But he goes on to encourage us then to take responsibility. We are a new creation. He says, now come and learn to live in your new identity. He says, clothe yourselves. Take personal responsibility and cultivate the following things in your life and character. I was going to put all these in the PowerPoint, but I just couldn't be bothered. Well, the truth is, it just takes forever, and you look at it and think, you know what, I'm not sure anybody looks at it, and, and it's okay, but it's just a tool. And William Booth didn't have a projector, neither did Wesley or Whitfield. They just had their voice in the Word of God, and that'll do me. Compassion is the first word. The word compassion. Add this to your life. Clothe yourself with compassion, he says. The, the, the word compassion has its root in a word that talks about the deep insides of our being. In much of history, the seat of our emotions has been seen as literally our bowels, in deep inside. That's where the word comes from, compassion. The very depth of our being. To have compassion is to be moved in the very depth of your being. To clothe ourselves with compassion is to take upon ourselves the compassion of Christ. To ask him, to let him, Lord, would you, would you let me see as you see? And would you let me feel as you feel? That's a scary prayer. Because it hurts. <laughs> Compassion. Motivation comes from deep on the inside of us. To know such compassion... We need to take the risk of, our, of allowing ourselves to feel. I'm coming back to that again. I was quite worried that this program 
reverse missionary one. He went to some people and said, they just said, oh, I'm not bothered about God, don't believe in God, it's irrelevant. And he said, don't you ever wonder, don't you ever ask yourself, what are you here for? And they went, no. Which frightened me, actually. I, I think what happens is, when you stop using your mind, we become like the animals. We don't ask the profound questions of life. Jesus said you will know the truth. The truth will set you free. If you don't start using your mind and asking yourself some questions, then sooner or later you just become like an animal. And so he's saying to these people, what are you here for? No, I don't know. Never think about it. And then somebody said, oh, I'm here to reproduce. Sounds just like the animals to me. That's scary. That's our society. That's where we're at. We need to understand that deep inside, people have a hunger and they're not even asking the questions. We need to help them come and ask the questions. Compassion. Take the risk of allowing ourselves to feel for the people who don't care. For the people who don't ask the questions. For the people who are heading for a lost eternity and heading for hell who live as your next door neighbor, your work colleague, or wherever they are. These are, I need to be stirred by something. It's not just, oh, I know I should witness. God, put something on the inside of me that so hurts me, so provokes me, that it becomes the passion of my life to see them saved. That it, it, it stirs me to pray. It stirs me to call out. It stirs me to weep with those that weep. It stirs me. It stirs me. We need that. We need the compassion of Christ back in the church. We do. God, we want to clothe ourselves with your compassion, please. Goodness, there's, there's ten sermons in this sermon, really. <laughs> Clothe yourselves with kindness. To be kind to the deserving is easy, but also to be kind to the undeserving is to be like Jesus. We need to cultivate kindness. Kindness in the home. Kindness with our friends. Kindness to all. Kindness to our wives. Kindness to our children. Kindness. Be kind. Be kind in the way we talk. Be kind in the way we speak to one another. Cultivate kindness, because Jesus is kind. How about humility? Clothe ourselves with humility. Humility is all about considering others before ourselves. It's about choosing not to fight for our rights and learning to be a servant of all. Philippians 2.3 Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. We can read the, we can read the words, but actually to be like that... Let us always remember we are chosen by God. We are His, and we are His servants, first and foremost. And therefore, we don't have to fight for anything because He's always a vindication. Do, do, do you know what I mean? I, 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 we're going to get misunderstood and all the rest of it, but let's consider others better than ourselves. The, in the Salvation Army, they, they have a slogan. Uh, I used to hear it a lot in the Salvation Army. We are saved to serve which says it all, really. Why are we saved? To serve. To become a servant of the world so that the world knows about Jesus. Humility. Gentleness. <laughs> Gentleness. I so well remember the day talking with one of the young leaders I've worked with over the years, and I started talking about being gentle. 
and he got really angry. He says, he leads a church now, New Frontiers Church. I hope he's got over it. Right? And he stamped his feet. He said, I hate the thought of being gentle. It does not seem to go with being manly. How wrong he was. Gentleness is not weakness. Gentleness is a sign of inner strength. And Paul talks about gentleness a great deal in his letters. My mind's chasing off in a direction here as I'm talking to you. I don't know whether to go there really, but I will. Um, Men, you need to understand that, that we live in a world that says men have to be macho and women will be impressed. I need to tell you, I disagree with that. I completely disagree with that. Macho men are usually bullies and control freaks. Godly men, true manhood, is about servanthood, gentleness, humility, godliness. That's true manhood. And that's far more attractive to women in the end. Sorry, ladies, you can correct me if I'm wrong. But at the end of the day, women want to be loved and cared for and valued and appreciated. Okay? And guess what? Children want to be loved and valued and cared for and appreciated. Walking around, being bullies, saying, pushing this and pushing that and telling everybody, you know, I'm, I'm here Treating people with contempt, thinking it's manly. Rubbish. It's not at all. Clothe yourselves with gentleness. And ladies, that's for you too, because us men very much appreciate being cared for and loved and valued. (laughs) And having our breakfast in bed even on Mother's Day. (laughs) Philippians 4.5 says, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Gentleness comes when we find rest in God and know his peace that passes understanding. Taking responsibility means we choose to be gentle. We choose to be different. And then we have clothe yourselves with patience. Another day, I well remember when our youth leader in Milton Keynes came out for prayer at the end of the meeting and he said, I want God to give me patience and I want it now. And I just laughed. I said, no way am I praying that for you. Instead, I prayed that God would grow his character and help him learn that patience comes with the contentment of knowing that God is in charge. How's your patience? Do you get impatient with people? Do you get impatient with life and difficulties? The cat's coming near, We can all get a bit like that. I was talking to my my plumber friend up the road. God, I'm having some fun with this guy up the road. He keeps coming around for a cup of tea. It's wonderful. It takes time, two hours ago, but it's it's good. We'll get some work done eventually as well. But that's by the way. And and he he and I are very alike. It's scary. We like the same things. We collect the same things. They are just weird. But 
He's very meek and mild, but underneath he's got this real anger issue. <laughs> right? And so he gets so far, and then he gets really cross, and he might have bought something, and it's not working. So what he'll do, he'll just get a hammer and smash it up. <laughs> just gets impatient. Enough! <laughs> Anybody identify with any of that? There's a few people here would do, but you're not, your hands are kept pretty low. Patience comes when you know that God is in charge, not you. Let's take responsibility for our impatience and press into God. And then Paul goes on telling us to take responsibility to make sure that we bear with each other. That means put up with. Okay? Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances we have against one another. So easy, isn't it? To be a Christian and live as a child of God means choosing to forgive. It's not about feelings, it's about choice. It means choosing not to hold things against people even when, when, when they're not sorry or haven't apologized. So you say, well, I'll forgive them if they apologize. No, no, forgiveness is, starts in your heart. You can, you can give them your forgiveness if they apologize, but you've got to let it go in here. This is your fight. This is your battle. The only person who gets hurt by our unforgiveness is us. It rots us up from the inside. It makes us miserable. Let's make sure we take responsibility and forgive others. And you know what? The, the biggest place, this has to work in marriage. It has to work in our relationships, work with our children. Because, you know, if we're not careful, we could just hold a bit of resentment somewhere. Just, just buried somewhere. Tell you, you've got to let that stuff go because it will get in and it will destroy as soon as you hold stuff and don't let it go, it becomes a way to spoil all your relationships. It ruins your life. And so Paul said, clothe yourselves, do, do with it, bear with one another and forgive one another. That's in marriage, that's in our relationships, that's in church life particularly. Because I guarantee you have the, poss- the ability to irritate me. But I guarantee even more that I have the ability to irritate you. <coughs> You'll have to forgive me for that. Because I, I don't even know I'm doing it half the time. Do, do you ever find if people irritate you, they don't even notice. And then you're cross, they didn't even notice, because at least they'd apologize. Do, do you know the stuff I'm talking about? Let it go. Take responsibility. Deal with yourself. Let it go. And then Paul goes on even further and says, on top of all these virtues, virtues we're to put on love. As I said in my first point, to know we are loved dearly by God is what satisfies our soul. But then to go on and love others with that same love that's working in our hearts is what binds us together as the body of Christ. We each receive that love and then that love overflows to one another and we, we love one another with the same love that God gives us. It binds us together. It binds the church together. You see, love for God and love for one another and love for the lost and this dying world is what we're chosen for. Love is like the air we breathe. It's the atmosphere of the kingdom of God. He is love. And so we can go into the world and we go and we want people to know Jesus and we want want to understand the consequences of sin. But you know what? First and foremost, the world needs to know they are loved. And sometimes they need to be loved by us 
before they'll ever know they're going to be loved by God. Loving the unlovely. Caring for people who are really difficult and loving them anyway. Again, in this program, I was so impressed. This guy from Jamaica goes to this guy who's pretty pretty immobile, got lots of chest problems and heart problems and a bit of a bruiser really. And This guy wins him through love. And at the end, this guy makes a response and gives his life to Jesus on TV. And you go, wow. And you know what? All he said was, this guy's my friend. He just kept saying, you're my friend. Building a bridge with somebody like, you're my friend. This guy gave him a bad time at first. He just kept loving him. And he won him through love. Above all these things, put on love, which binds us all together in perfect unity. It's the air we breathe. It's the atmosphere of the kingdom. Let me read to you what Paul clearly teaches the Corinthian church about love. Something I read to myself from time to time just to see how I'm doing. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, or preach my heart out or whatever, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and old knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. Wow. Isn't that glorious? It's just glorious language. It's glorious truth. How do we know if we're taking responsibility in all of these areas? Well, it's simple. Just have a look at yourself. Look at your behavior. Listen to your, your speech, your conversation. Have a look at your attitudes and your motivations. Have a look in your heart. There you find the truth. And if you can't, if you're going to say, no, I don't know what's there, just ask God. He'll show you very quickly. But be honest when he shows you. Let's face up to what we see there and choose to make the changes that are necessary because this is what it means to live as who we are. It's not like I've got to do all this to be a child of God. No, I'm already a child of God. I'm a new creation. But this is what it means to live as this. Does that make sense? This is what God's made me. Now I have to learn to live in it and live it out. It's glorious. Honest. And quote, my last point, being thankful. Thankfulness comes from a heart at peace. As we let the peace that Jesus gives fill our hearts and minds. That means we let his peace govern our thoughts. His peace govern our words and our actions. As we do that, we start to become a people who appreciate what God gives us day by day. Who's been disappointed today? Anybody? You don't have to put your hand up. But you probably have. (laughs) You know. You can put your hands up. I mean, you know, you, you, there'll, there'll be people, you know what, on Mother's Day people get disappointed on, there'll, there'll be all sorts of emotions on Mother's Day. Some, some mothers have died, all sorts of things. There's all sorts of 
issues goes off in life. The point I'm making is this. You can still find something to be thankful for. You can still be grateful. You can still be appreciative. It doesn't mean you don't hurt. It just means find the thing to be thankful for and give voice to it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, you've made us part of this family. Thank you, Lord, you've made us part of Jubilee Church Teesside. What a privilege. It's such a privilege to be here. And it really is such a privilege to know one another. It's such a privilege to, to me, with all the different cultures we have here, such a privilege to be together in the purpose of God, isn't it? It's just such a joy. It's, it's like, what a privilege to say we are together. Oh, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful to God. I'm so thankful to God that he ever brought Jean and I to Teesside. Really thankful. Even on the bad days. <laughs> I'm just so thankful to God. and said, God, I wouldn't be anywhere else though. So grateful. And be thankful. Cultivate thankfulness. It's so important. It'll change your whole outlook on life. You see, we live in a society where we're encouraged to fight for our rights. We live in a God's kingdom where we don't need to fight for our rights because we're his children and he promises to give us all we need. I made a conscious decision years ago that I would never, ever argue with my employer about my salary. Did a little deal with God, and what I said to God was, you're my provider. I will not go to war and say, I deserve more money. I will serve gladly, but say, God, if you want me to have more, you will provide. And all the way through, God has done that. We live in a world that's fighting, saying, oh, now, you know, they're talking about, all the time, the unions are fighting for this and that. I understand all of that. I'm not, I'm, I'm not making a judgment on that. All I'm saying is this, as a child of God, God is my provider, God is my sustainer, I don't need to fight for my rights. He, prov- he promises to meet all my need. He's my vindication. He gives me everything I need. If we, if, if we only think, oh, I'm not going to do that, you don't pay me enough, we have immediately got the whole attitude wrong. We are servants of God and servants of the world. We do it for that, for those things. I, I refuse to fight. I refuse to fight for those sort of things. Now, there may be times when we as the church go and fight for people who can't fight for themselves. What I mean by that is there may be some social injustice and some things like that where we, where we, we really have to say, you know what, that is not right. And we will go on their behalf and, and, and fight that battle. That, that's okay. But when it comes to us personally, arguments about what I'm worth and what I'm not worth, I tell you what, you be a servant, you put God first, you do your best for your employer as though you are serving God, and I promise you, you will be rewarded. I promise you. Because that's the kingdom way. Be thankful for what we have rather than fighting for what we don't have. The whole world at the moment, the whole of our Western society, is all the time wanting more, fighting for more, fighting for our rights. It's my human right. You know what? That, that's just a recipe for trouble. I have no right. The only right I have is to die and go to hell, because I am a sinner. But God came to me, 
and died on a cross for me and gave me life. I didn't deserve it. I never will deserve it. That's the gospel. It's not about the rights. We aren't worth it. You know, we say, oh, well, we must be worth it. No, we're not worth it. We don't deserve it. We never will deserve it. It's all of grace. It comes from love that we don't deserve. That's what we're about. So these adverts, when go on, you know you're worth it. Do you get those? Yeah, you know you're worth it. You know what? No, no. God didn't say, well, I know they're worth it. It's while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I wasn't worth it. He's the glorious one. But in his mercy, in his grace, he poured out his blood and he said, come. Let me lavish love on you. Let me lavish grace on you. You'll never be worth it. You'll never be worthy of it. But come on, it's my good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's my good pleasure to bless you, my children. And that's the life we live. And that's where we live. And it's glorious. And it's wonderful. And guess who gets the glory? He does. Hallelujah. I love it. I wouldn't have it any different. Let's be a thankful and grateful people. As the Apostle Paul says to us in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So let's always remember that God's chosen us and dearly loves us. Let us therefore take responsibility and learn to live as who we are, making sure the Word of God shapes our behavior and our attitudes. Let us seek to be a thankful people who enjoy being the children of God's choosing. And let us work it out together as we worship God, as we work hard, as we encourage one another daily. And let's do it all in His name and for his glory, and let's stay rooted in the word and filled with the Holy Spirit. I love it. It's wonderful. It really is. You know what? We don't have side B to fill in. Isn't it great? <laughs> I forgot about that. Raj forgot about that. You've forgotten already. <laughs> oh, yeah, we used to do that. Not often, but we occasionally did. Right. If you have information to feed back to us, don't forget to fill in. Tear off the back sheet of the, your new sheet or find another one, fill it in. Make sure your name's on it. I just want us to stand together in the presence of God for a while. I'd like the band to come back.